0: Hey everyone, it's Trags, and it's Wednesday, August 1st in time for episode 256 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Also, follow us on Twitter, at CLNS Media. And for all of our football coverage, including the Patriots, follow us at Patriots CLNS. A great story last week on Bleacher Report about the would-be successor to Tom Brady traded on Halloween last year to the 49ers for a second-round pick. Today, we welcome June Lee, the writer who had the chance to share a meal with Jimmy Garoppolo at a pretty uh, posh uh, Santa Clara Steakhouse and chat with also chat with his family and friends. June, welcome to Patriot Speed. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Craig. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you're doing you're having fun at Bleacher Report. It sounds like you are. They they've got you on some uh pretty high-profile stories. Yeah,
1: it's uh it's been a pretty good time since I uh, came over here about a year and a half ago.
0: What was your background again? I mean, obviously you were here in Boston for a long time.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, uh, you know, a 30-minute walk to Fenway Park. Uh, and then I spent my freshman year at Boston University. I interned at com. after that. And before that, uh, I interned for, I think, three summers at the Boston Herald as a sports intern. Uh, and then after my freshman year at BU, I transferred to Cornell. Uh, spent one summer at the Washington Post, did a bunch of freelance writing between classes and and blogged a bunch, and now here I am in New York City at Bleacher Report.
0: That is uh, tremendous, and I do remember you uh, as a colleague at weei.com, working alongside Rob Bradford. Obviously, you picked up a few things about getting to the personality of the athlete. That's one thing Rob always told me uh, people really want to read about is the personality. And your story on Jimmy Garoppolo... Superman in disguise. Tom Brady is yesterday's news. That surely uh, shook up uh, some headlines uh, last week. Uh, Meet the new boss, it says, in one of the five cover stories for Bleacher Report, Power 50. It's a celebration of 2018's most influential people in sports culture. Wow. Wow. Clearly, Jimmy G, um, June, is a young quarterback who hasn't lost as a starter in seven NFL starts. Everybody uh, in New England obviously remembers uh, the uh, two starts that he had back in 2016. Uh, had the five starts last year, 5-0 and 0 in San Francisco's final games, final five games of 17. But a spot in the Power 50 is one of 2018's most influential, influential uh, sports culture. So I got a, one question. Why? Sure. Uh, you know,
1: it's, uh, it was kind of all up to my editors. Uh, I really had no input here. I kind of do what I'm told. Uh, you know, we got the access to Jimmy, and they thought that uh, he would fit into this, into this Power 50 list, and, and that's kind of what happened.
0: So it was your editorial staff that came to that conclusion?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I had very little input on who was kind of on these, uh, on these lists, so I'm just kind of doing, doing what I'm told.
0: So um, besides getting a nice Fleming's dinner out out of it, uh, why do you think Jimmy agreed to do it?
1: Uh, I think part of it is because he had never done any story like this before, and I think they're preparing to kind of shape his off-the-field brand as as it is, and they wanted the the fans out there, you know, Niner fans, Patriots fans, whatever, to kind of get to know him a little bit. Uh, there's, it's, obviously, he signed a big contract in San Francisco – there's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, and in New England there wasn't a lot of press around him because the Patriots kind of prevented a lot of stories from being done on him. And so right. I think they were ready to kind of introduce him to the world. Uh, you know, for whatever reason. They decided that the best forum for that would be uh through me and through Bleach Report and that's how the story came together. I think it's a lot of it has to do with, you know, trying to trying to set him up as Uh, a a person who can endorse things uh, because you know you need to know the athlete's personality in order for someone to be a a good uh, spokesperson for a brand uh and you know to kind of set up the the narrative around him heading into the season because uh you know people want to know who these guys are off the field and uh jimmy clearly has a personality pretty intense personality in terms of uh, being a quarterback and 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 wanting to be a perfectionist uh, on and off the field. And so uh, he decided to chat for the first time.
0: Who was the first guy you spoke to, or first person, I should say, that you spoke to for the story?
1: First person, I, I think I spoke to his friend Jerome Williams, uh, who's known as Juice. He's one of his uh, five uh, college roommates and, and one of his teammates at EIU, and he kind of helped me uh, get set up with the rest of his friends. But before that, you know, I'd been talking to his agent about you know, figuring out a situation where we could, uh, work out a, 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 long, a lengthy interview. Uh, you know, I talked to Donnie, Donnie about that. And so, you know, Don's not quoted in the story and I didn't and actually interview him for the story, but, uh, he was kind of the first person I talked to, but in terms of an actual interview it was his, uh, one of his best friends juice.
0: So I would think, June, that Don Yee would be willing to do this because he knew the dynamic in New England, right? I mean, he knew cool. Tom Brady cool, yeah. and and B- Tom Brady and Bill Belichick control everything there, and uh, Jimmy G had to really bide his time and you know pay his dues there and spoke when spoken to. You know that was kind of the deal. Uh, but one once you get out from under the. Uh, umbrella of the Patriots, Belichick and Brady. Uh, I could see why Don Yee, his agent, um, obviously Brady's agent as well, uh, would want this for his client.
1: Yeah, I think it's just part of it is just controlling the narrative around a player. Uh, you know, the Patriots are so good at doing that just for the organization and I think that this is kind of the first time in his career where Jimmy was, Jimmy's kind of able to be exactly who he wants on and off the field and uh, you know he is very confident in himself and uh, really is uh, he really does not have any problems kind of being himself uh, and 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 is pretty authentic to who he is and so uh, I I think that this was an opportunity for him to not only let the world know who he is but kind of take back the narrative around him uh, and, and kind of set the record straight.
0: Did Jimmy G really think he could beat out Tom Brady when he got there?
1: You know, it was really interesting because the question that I asked about uh, that kind of elicited that response that had nothing to do with the Patriots or anything. I was talking about, to him about his mindset, you know, going into the season as a starting quarterback, I asked him about, uh, you know, just confidence and, and believing in yourself. And, and that's kind of how he set it up. Uh, he talked about playing with his brothers and, and playing basketball with them as a kid and, and always thinking that he was going to beat them until the moment that he lost. And so, uh, he, he kind of brought up New England by himself. He he brought up the fact that he had this mindset coming into the Patriots, even as a rookie, you know, thinking that he could be better than Tom Brady. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's not representative of what he thinks about Tom. I think that's more representative of what he thinks about himself. Uh, I really don't think that has anything to do with, with Tom and and what he thinks about Tom's skill set. I think it more has to do with his self-confidence his belief in his abilities uh, and his belief that he can become one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl
0: so june i'm really glad you brought up that context because that's exactly the way i read it I, i i am sure that every quarterback in the nfl competing for a spot whether it's otas training camp or uh you know a rookie um you know who wins like Carson Wentz for the Eagles last year who wins the starting job feels like they belong they're the best guy for the job on that team and that's it's got to be that attitude otherwise you're a dead duck before you even take a snap in the NFL
1: yeah I think I think part of it is just in the pursuit of greatness whether that's in sports or or not I think you need to have kind of a rational mindset that you can be Uh, great Uh, you know I I I kind of related to Jimmy on that level just just feeling like as a high schooler you know feeling like I could hang with the big boys and you know I knew at that time probably wasn't as good as a lot of the other writers on the beat but I knew that at a certain point if I was able to develop my skill set enough I was able to become a good enough writer and hopefully get to a place like Bleach Report and uh, you know I, I talked to Jimmy kind of about my my own like journey to where I was today and why we ended up at the table together uh, that night in Santa Clara and, and how I'd gotten there and I think he I think we both connected on that level and that's why he was able to open up to me uh, about that.
0: How long into the interview was that um, Fleming Steakhouse dinner with uh, Jimmy? How was that like midway through? Was it early on in was, this whole collection it, process?
1: It was, it, it was near the end. Uh, I like to do a lot of pre-interviews for, for this kind of stuff just because I like to be as Prepared as possible and, and trying to bring up as many potential anecdotes for a story in order to kind of report them out even more, especially with the subject. And so I had done uh, maybe you know fifteen uh, pre-interviews with friends and uh, you know former coaches and uh, his family. Uh, you know, around half hour, you know, thirty thirty to forty five minutes each per interview, and had transcribed them all and and come in with a bunch of pre-note inter- uh, pre-interview notes and sure. Uh, the topics that i wanted to hit to to make sure that i got as much as i could and then kind of follow up after that
0: you know and and obviously the line that everybody picked up on last week i'm better than this dude what i really appreciated about you uh doing this story june is your follow-up because a lot of reporters would just go oh wow i got the money quote but then you followed up how many times two or three four times to kind of clarify like three times how what he was actually yeah. saying there
1: sure yeah and and for me, like, I wasn't, I, I, I don't even think I kind of fully processed what he had said exactly in that moment. It was more just a kind of a reactionary thing, trying to, for me, just to try to understand a little bit clearer where he was coming from. Uh, and, you know, it, it wasn't kind of until I, I, like, decompressed in the car back afterwards, you know, sitting, uh, you know, and and writing out kind of a, a bunch of notes to my editor as to what had just went down and and what I had from Jimmy, uh, that I kind of realized what he had said and how that quote uh, could potentially take off uh, because, you know, on the surface, it is pretty inflammatory.
0: Well, so guess what line stuck out to me? It wasn't that one. Take a wild guess which one really stuck. Actually, in the whole story, um, you know, because a lot of it had to do with Jimmy's relationship with Tom Brady and how he got along with the best quarterback on the planet – there's one line that stuck out to me. Any guesses?
1: Uh, was it the ones they wanted to kill each other sometimes? Yes,
0: very good, June. We got a we got along, Jimmy said, but there were always times where we wanted to kill each other. Offer some context there.
1: I I really just kind of asked about the competition between the two of them, and uh, you know the way that Jimmy framed it was that Jimmy really looked up to Tom both kind of on and off the field as a role model. But when you're competing with someone, there's always going to be some hard times and you're going to say things or or do things that rub each other the wrong way. And, you know, you go about your own business after afterwards, and then you kind of come back and you guys are, you know, a family. And so you kind of have to deal with it. And I think that uh, Jimmy, really uh, pushed Tom to be kind of be the best version of himself. I really don't think it's a coincidence that Tom's best three-year stretch of his career came with Jimmy Garoppolo as his backup. Um, and I think that for the most part, Jimmy was able to kind of improve as much as humanly possible in his three and a half seasons in New England because he was working and, and absorbing the routine and the competitiveness of, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time.
0: So the reason that really sticks out to me is everybody publicly. And, you know, and you point out that you don't really get a private look inside these personalities inside uh, Gillette stadium, because that's just not, you know, permitted by the Patriots. Uh, But, Everybody always has this image of Jimmy G smiling, being happy, um, even on the sideline, joking around or what have you. They very rarely see that intense side. I would say even uh, in the games he started in, in Arizona and at home against Miami before he left with the shoulder injury, people never saw him like fired up, angry, what have you. But obviously there had to be that element behind the scenes with Tom.
1: Right. And, uh, I think that, you know, Jimmy's kind of ridiculously competitive guy and he really doesn't have a life outside of football. Uh, it's really just, you know, going to the facility, spending all the time training, working out, watching film, you know, trying to mentally prepare himself to be the best quarterback possible. He doesn't have food at home. He doesn't have a lot of clothes at home. Most of his stuff is at the facility. And as much of a cliche as it is, he really does live and breathe football and live and breathe at the facility. Uh, and so, this isn't a really intense guy and uh he's preparing to be a starting quarterback and he wants to be the best and he thinks that he can get there uh and i think that that's kind of the mindset you have to have you have to be irrationally confident in order to reach this plateau of greatness especially within the context of football and sports
0: correct me if i'm wrong but did you ask it because i didn't notice this did you ask him about the aladdin nameplate i did i did we actually talked
1: about it for like 10 15 10 minutes and he uh uh, he said that he was kind of confused as to why the media was so obsessed with it, but uh, he said that at a certain point, uh, maybe you know down the road in the future, he wants to dress up as a and just to kind of give a nod to his former teammates, and, yeah. and the inside joke there
0: what, was it Tom who who gave him that na- that moniker and, and uh, installed no, I- the nameplate? Who, where did that come from again?
1: I believe that it was. It I think it was that uh, it was one of the offensive line. Maybe Cam Fleming, who was one of his best friends on the Pats, uh, who who called him Aladdin one day, kind of in the the team cafeteria, and uh, it it stuck. It, you know, someone printed out a nameplate and stuck it up on the uh, the locker room door, and uh, that's when kind of the media saw, and he was kind of confused about the commotion around his locker and. Uh,
0: it was it was
1: not Tom who did it. It was I think it was I believe it was Kim Fleming,
0: but I have to go back to my
1: transcripts to to find that out.
0: Speaking with June Lee of Bleacher Report did an outstanding job on a, uh, a multiple thousand word story on uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll return to him in just a moment. Right now I want to tell you about a new wellness brand for men. It's called Hims, For Hims. Dot com 66 percent of men lose their hair by the age of 35 thing is when you start to notice hair loss it's too late it's always easier guys to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards any bald spots popping up yet? Well, there is a solution. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wear- wellness for men. It's called 4 Thanks to science, baldness can now be optional. HIMS connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. There's well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Order now. My listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 trags. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S. Dot com slash T-R-A-G-S forhims.com slash trags. Again, speaking with June Lee of Bleacher Report and his uh, outstanding feature on Jimmy Garoppolo. Alright, I want to get to some of the other storylines from, uh, from your feature, and one of which really sticks out to me, kind of telling everybody the kind of guy Jimmy Garoppolo was when he was younger. His Pop Warner coach Bob Vitti frequently called a play you write, um, usually save for desperation time in Madden. It's a halfback pass wherein the quarterback, who was Jimmy's best friend growing up, Dan Lowry, would hand the ball off to Jimmy, who would chuck it down the field. The reason I'm getting into all of this, apparently, and you write this, Bob Vitti approached him about changing from running back to quarterback, but he said no. Why?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, part of the reason was his older brothers basically said, uh, you know, you're going to get, as many touches as running back, being in Pop Warner football uh, as you are, as you would as a, as a quarterback, just because there's a lot less throwing in the lower levels of football. But the, the kind of the main reason was that Jimmy did not want to take Dan's job because Jimmy, uh, Dan was one of his best friends growing up, uh, lived a couple of streets over from the cul-de-sac that they live, the grapplers living in in Arlington Heights. And so he didn't want to uh, ruffle any feathers there. And he was more than happy staying Uh, at the halfback position just because he knew that he was going to get his passing opportunities and he knew that uh, he was going to touch the ball a bunch. And so uh, that was kind of the main driving reason behind it was, you know, him not wanting to take his friend's job, you know, back in sixth grade.
0: Right. And there's irony there, obviously, right? Because, you know, as he grows up in college and in, in the pros, that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to take the job of the quarterback already in place.
1: Right. Yeah, and uh, I think at that point, like Jimmy wasn't even necessarily thinking about a professional football career. Uh, but he, he, it, it definitely kind of began – he was kind of a late bloomer. like He did not become a, a quarterback until – a full-time quarterback until his junior year of high school. And, and even then, uh, it took him a while to get on scouts' radars. And, uh, and it really wasn't until kind of his senior year at Eastern Illinois where he really became a legitimate NFL prospect and someone that people took seriously.
0: So how did Jimmy Garoppolo wind up at Eastern Illinois? Uh,
1: it was because his, his quarterback coach, Jeff Christensen, uh, basically set him up with uh, one of the recruiting coordinators, uh, Roy Whitkey at Eastern Illinois, who had recruited Tony Romo. And he basically insisted, like, this is a guy that's going to be really, really good. Uh, there's not a lot of tape on him, uh, but he's got a lot of potential. And Eastern Illinois took a chance on him. He had not received uh, you know, very many college football offers uh and and so Jimmy wanted to be a quarterback and and knowing kind of the history at East Illinois with Tony Romo and Sean Payne he knew that this was a situation where he would be able to develop and that's kind of it i mean like he did not receive a lot of looks from from many other programs because he had started late uh and and kind of began to blossom as a quarterback at, in his senior year and so there just wasn't a ton of opportunity, and so he took the best one that he had, which was at Eastern Illinois.
0: What's interesting is um, Dino Babers uh, actually said the guy shouldn't be at Eastern Illinois, right? I mean, essentially?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, you know, Dino, Dino Babers, uh, who's now the head coach at Syracuse, he walks in. Uh, this is spring ball going into Jimmy's junior year, and uh, people expected them to to, to – have Jimmy transferred to another school because Babers came in from Baylor uh, was kind of running the RG three off, you know, helping run the RG three offense over there uh, who had just come off winning a Heisman. And and they had a quarterback who they felt was ready to be a mobile dude and and playing that similar offense. And then he saw Jimmy throw five passes and he had never seen a release quicker than that. Uh, I mean, the only person Babers had seen was Dan Marino. And so he, he turned to the kind of one of the one of the staffers and said this guy should not be here, uh, and they're like, yeah, that's what we've been telling you. He's like, no, this guy is too good for for Division One AA. He should not be playing at this level. He should be playing at an even higher level. And so I think he had caught Jimmy had caught Zeno off guard because nobody kind of told him that there was this NFL uh, prospect kind of waiting for them and has fallen into their lap.
0: How much of an influence? I mean, fathers are always huge uh, in their son's development, uh, both uh, growing into a man and also if they have athletic aspirations, uh, being an influence uh, as a young athlete. How big of a deal was Tony Senior in Jimmy Garoppolo's development?
1: I mean, obviously huge, just because he it was. It's a real working class family. Arlington Heights is a nice neighborhood, and I think the way that the Garoppolo's kind of framed how hard their dad worked is that. You know, he had to wake up at six thirty every morning and would be done at four thirty-five, uh, in order to make sure that uh, they could feed the four brothers, make sure that they could live in this nice Chicago suburb. Uh, it was a real midwestern working class family. I think that mentality really, really rubbed off on Jimmy. And I mentioned this in the story that his dad would tell him from time to time after workouts, kind of slip in in the middle of the conversations, there's always someone working harder than you. It was something that kind of haunted Jimmy in the back of his head and and kind of pushed him to work harder every single day. And I I think that influence of his dad and and the the blue class working color mentality, the not taking anything for granted and, and feeling like you need to earn every single opportunity. I think that still stems from how hard his dad worked as a kid growing up.
0: All right, let's fast forward to Halloween morning, 2017. And, um, the sense that you got from jimmy uh, when you spoke to him and those close to him uh, around him did they did he sense he was going to be dealt i think he
1: didn't really know what was going to happen I, his mom had been, <laughs> has been texting him he you know jimmy doesn't really check social media and his mom apparently kind of checks and reads everything and she had been getting the she was getting sense that he was going to get traded, he didn't really know what was going to happen. I mean, part of him was already planning for the next year uh, to live in the Seaport and be be in New England, be a Patriot, even though his contract was expiring. And so, he part of him, I, I think, part of him just didn't really know what to expect. He was taking a nap when the trade happened, and he woke up and had received a ton of texts and calls from his agent, and he, he followed up and you know then hopped on the phone with Bill Belichick and then hopped on a plane. Uh, to to San Francisco in order to finally get his opportunity as a starting quarterback, uh, and so I I think that he was just kind of going with the punches at that point because he, he really did not know what to expect, and he figured that whatever happened was going to end up being the best situation for him uh, to succeed.
0: All right, um, there is something that happened on the way to the airport though, and uh, of course yes. I want to get want to get into that a little bit because. When someone sees life flash before their eyes, it can be it literally can be a life altering experience. Describe what right. happened that Halloween morning when he was uh getting on the Niners private plane to go from uh, Boston to Santa Clara.
1: Sure, so he is in a limo that he got on at 5:30 in the morning driving down I-95 uh they're about to enter onto the highway and another car is exiting kind of parallel to them uh, the car that is exiting uh exiting kind of skids off the road and heads straight towards jimmy and his limo and so jimmy looks out the window and he's basically staring straight at the car with the headlights and the uh car has to skid off the road into a ditch in order to basically save jimmy garoppolo's life and he was kind of in shock and like did not really know what was happening or what was going on. And Jimmy's always been one of those guys who is a planner. He, he plans ahead uh, to reduce anxiety and uh, wants to know where things are going. He wants to have an idea of what he's working towards and having a goal set in order to kind of reach it and break it. And so this was a situation where he didn't really know what was going to happen and it kind of freaked him out. Uh, and and the possibility that he could have died was very very real that day, um, unless the if his, if his driver had not kind of stepped up and 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 skated off the road. And so I think that he was. I think it's very representative of kind of his his situation right now in San Francisco. You know, he's been planning for this event for a very long time, uh, and he kind of doesn't really know what's going to happen right now. Uh, and and for the first time in Jimmy Garoppolo's life, you know, you can plan all you want, but at a certain point you're you have to perform and and this is this is his opportunity to live up to the expectations and you know while he has been preparing to be a really great quarterback he you know i think a lot of people are kind of questioning questioning uh whether or not he how you know whether or not he can actually be one how good he is you know is he the is he baby brady as a lot of people have labeled him uh who is he and, and what's going to happen i think you know that's a question that I can't answer, and Jimmy can't necessarily answer right now. and We're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Has he talked to you about the expectations of being as good as the Rams in the NFC West? You know, I, there are going to be a lot of Forty Nine er fans who expect, hey, he went five and zero at the end of last year. They finished six and ten. We can flip that and go ten and six and compete for a wild card and get to the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, he knows that there's a lot of pressure on him, because of, especially because of the money and the type of attention that he's getting and kind of the unprovenness of it all. He's kind of the world's biggest underdog. Uh, sorry, the world's most overrated underdog. You know, all these people are talking about how good he can be, uh, but he's never done it over the course of a full season. And I think people are waiting to jump on him uh, at the first opportunity that they can. You know, that first interception, I think, is going to be a big deal. Uh, And the first loss is going to be a big deal because he's never lost as a starter. And so I think that uh, people – he knows that people are going to jump on. He knows that San Francisco 49er fans believe that they're set for the next 10 to 15 years a quarterback. Uh, And he's just putting all that on his shoulders and and trying to prove them right.
0: What about John Lynch and his decision to give Jimmy – $137 $137 million with a signing bonus of $7 million and a guaranteed roster bonus of $28 million uh, over uh, five years.
1: Well, I also don't think that you can discount Kyle Shanahan's role in all this. Because oh, right. Lynch and, Shan- Lynch and Shanahan are very much kind of a partnership, and they came to the decision together that Jimmy was their guy. Uh, and John, John Lynch came to that decision kind of before Kyle did. Uh, he was convinced pretty quickly. Kind of given Jimmy's skill set and his performance in the field, that Jimmy was a guy that they could commit their franchise to. They were planning on going after Kirk Cousins in the offseason, uh, you know, potentially going after a guy in the draft, thinking that they would have a very high draft pick, given their record at the time. And, you know, all of that changed really, really quickly. Kyle Shanahan eventually came around. Uh, by the end of Jimmy's third game, he was convinced that this was the guy for them, that this was someone that they wanted to work with long term. They didn't want to mess around with the franchise tag. Jimmy did not want to mess around with the franchise tag. Uh, they did not want any distractions going into the season. They did not want headlines on ESPN asking if the Forty Nineers were ready to commit to him. And so they sat down the offseason, you know, knocked out a contract. Jimmy signed it in his in his kitchen, uh, in in his hometown kitchen back back home in Arlington Heights. They took a private jet out to San Francisco for the press conference, and kind of the rest is history from there.
0: How closely are you going to follow him this year? I mean, obviously every football fan is going to follow Jimmy Garoppolo, his ups and downs. But, I mean, after doing an interview like that um, and putting all the work into a story like this, um, I, I assume you're going to have closer eyes on Jimmy G than even most football fans will.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like when I do these big stories, I always kind of try to keep an eye on how they're doing afterwards, mostly because I want to see how the story ages. Uh, i put heard the story on uh Killian Mbappe, uh, who is the World Cup star for France and I, I did it back in October, like six months before anyone six, seven months before anyone in the US knew who he was really. And uh that story has aged remarkably well and I feel very good about that. And so for my own selfish purposes, I wanna see how these stories age and hopefully that they hold up for me and uh you know, I'll be following Jimmy very closely, you know, not only as a football fan but as a out of selfish interest as a as a reporter.
0: I mean, if he goes to the Super Bowl and there's a rematch between Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo, you would oh, not man, mind. I can't that. even
1: imagine the headlines.
0: I cannot even imagine the headlines that would come with that. I mean, I, I you know, crazier things have happened, June. You know that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I, I just I cannot. <laughs> I, it would be
1: very. I feel like the media frenzy would just be completely out of control, especially with the uh, you know how the Boston media is. I I don't think that that would
0: uh. I think it would be kind of a media firestorm at that point. I mean, it would be literally over the top. How how can people follow you on social and online at Bleacher Report, June?
1: Sure. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at June Lee J O O N L E E. I'm also on Instagram at June J O O N. Uh, you can follow my work there. Uh, you know, follow Bleach Report. Download the Bleach Report app, uh, and you can you can see my writing there. Uh,
0: and that's I think that's about it. Thanks again for downloading today's Patriots beat. Want to once again thank our terrific guest from Bleacher Report, June Lee. Be sure to check out his story on Jimmy Garoppolo at uh, bleacherreport.com uh, and uh, on the app. Jimmy Garoppolo is Superman in disguise. You can also give us a follow at Patriots CLNS and at CLNS Media. Give my own personal account a follow, if you're not already, at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. Today's sponsor, 4 For Patriots content manager, Mike Alonji, CLNS Media executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. this is Mike Petralia. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. This has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.